In about six or seven minutes, um, Manchester United and Aston Villa are going to kick off the Premiership <laughs> match. Um, Ray knows what I'm talking about. I don't know anybody else. Um, I am a, I'm a big European soccer fan. I have been since 1999. And that was important. In 1999, uh, Manchester United, this is a team in Manchester, they've read, um, they used to have David Beckham play for them, but then they sold it for a lot of money and got better. But um, they played against Bayern Munich, which is this big German powerhouse in the Champions League final. Bayern München. And so Bayern was winning until the very end. And so there was a 90th minute. Soccer has football, soccer has um, two 45 minute halves. But unlike every American sport, you never know when the end is going to be. <laughs> because there is a clock ticking, and the clock is different from the timekeeper, who is an official ref. And so the clock is going along, and, and the ref has his own clock. And so every time the ball stops, he has a little stopwatch, and, um, and he starts and stops, and different timekeepers start and stop at different times, and different timekeepers consider a stoppage differently. And so you get to the end of 90 minutes, the end of two halves of, of proper football, of soccer, and, um, and it says like, okay, there may be four extra minutes. There may be six, there may be two, you don't know what is going to happen. And um, because time is going in this, this diachronic way in soccer, it's just second after second, you know, it takes a long time to run all the way across the soccer field. But so it's this, this anticipation, this anxiety, and so it gets to the 90th minute in this match in 1999, and Manchester United and Bayern, and um, there's a corner happens. So the corner happens, the ball goes out behind, and they have to kick around. And usually, most of the time, especially the Germans, the Germans are very good defenders on corners. And you expect, oh, the match is over, Manchester's losing. And then, and then the corner goes over, and I'm watching this um, in my parents' um, living room by myself. Um, and it's the, the announcer, I still remember it. It's like, and in the corner, and, and, and Sheringham, Teddy Sheringham knocks in the ball. It's like, I still remember it, you know, sorry, just kidding. It's still visceral for me. And so they tied it, they tied it in injury time. And it's like, oh my gosh, but then again, you know, Bayern, they're this, this powerhouse, they're used to it. They feel like they're still gonna win. And then, but the clock, you know, it's still 90 on the clock. They don't know, it's like, when is the guy gonna click it? When's he gonna call it? It's sad, you know, this is, you're waiting. You don't know when it's going to be. And then, one more corner, one more shot, one more corner, Manchester's got it. And they, and they, and they, they kick it in, and Ollie Gunnar Solstrak, who's now, who's this funny looking Norwegian, he kind of looks like the Craig Biggio of soccer, he's got his baby face still today. Um, and he knocks it in. And I remember the announcement, it's like, and Sheringham drew it, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has won the Champions League for Manchester United. <laughs> Yay! They have, a, they have a very bad team this year, I'm not excited. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the score of today's game, but I remember that match. <laughs> and I say that because in soccer, time works differently than in other sports. So most, you know, a football game, you know, a, uh, a basketball game, the clock has this function, this clock is this finite thing. I remember in, I think it was 2004, the Spurs versus the Lakers, if you remember the basketball game, and there were 0.6 seconds left on the clock, and Derek Fisher hit this shot, and there was this, like, long, um, almost, like, ontological discussion of, can you shoot a ball in 0.6 seconds? Um, but that's what it was. And so time functions in American sports differently, and, and in soccer, it's like, okay, it's going to end 
when it's going to end. You don't, you have no idea what it's going to be. The people at home, they're like, blow the whistle. You know, if your team is winning, you're like, blow the whistle, blow the whistle, blow the whistle. If your team is losing, don't blow the whistle, don't blow the whistle, don't blow the whistle. There's always this, this chance, this opportunity, time functions is this funny, funny way. My friends, we are continuing our strange season, our strange sermon series on Christ as King. It is a strange season for me as well to rant about soccer on a Sunday morning. Last week, we talked about Christ as King on the cross and the, the irony of Christ's power being revealed on the cross, being revealed in that deprivation that we see Christ as King over all in that one location. Today, this first Sunday of Advent, um, this first Sunday of this, this time that is to come, we see Christ as king of all time, as revealed as a child in a manger. Advent has two meanings. The first one is the easiest one, is the simplest one. Advent literally means to come. What is to come? It is the season of anticipation for Christmas. But Advent has a second meaning. It's not just the anticipation of Christ's coming as a child, but Christ's coming Again, this is where uh, that tough passage that Lucky read from, from Matthew 24 comes in, which is kind of, it doesn't really jive as much with, with mangers and stables. That first, that first Sunday in Advent, there's always this kind of dissonance between what is often going on in, in the church service and what is, what is read and what is preached about. This is one of the main reasons why our, our Church cantata, our choral cantata this year, is an Advent cantata and not a Christmas one because Advent is this season that is different from Christmas. It's not just a resetting of Christmas carols. Advent has its own songs, its own time, and has its own readings that are, that are strange like this. You will, no one knows the time or the hour. Two will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken. One will be left. This kind of language doesn't remind us of the scene here in the nativity. So what is going on here? We know the timing of the celebration of Christmas. It's on our calendar every year. It's not like Easter where you have to decide what's Easter going to be this year. We know Christmas is going to be December 25th. We know we're probably going to do something on that day. Hopefully you'll be at church the day before. <laughs> that would be great to see you. <laughs> but we know what that day is going to be. We know when we are going to celebrate it. We do not know the time of Christ's return. When all things will be drawn up in him. We can still celebrate though and wait. There are two ways to wait. One is in humility and one is in arrogance. I'll talk about humility in a second. Like many things, it's easier to talk about the sin than the virtue. So we'll talk about arrogance. <laughs> arrogance and waiting for Jesus. There is, since about the 13th century, there have been a few groups of Christians who have decided that they can figure out when Jesus is going to come again. And they see the Bible as this kind of code book that you can read and figure out, like, okay, this means that, and that means that, and that means the calendar is going to be this. And so therefore, on June 15th, 2035... Jesus is coming again. Boom. That's, that's how it's going to be. There's in, this, in this country, a big movement started in the early 19th century called dispensationalism that, that looked at the Bible as if there were these discrete periods of time when God acted in discrete ways. 
And this kind of um, theology led to like the Left Behind series of books and um, Rapture Theology, End Times Theology, Left Behind the, the series called The Great Late Great Planet Earth, um, of this viewing that like maybe Daniel was talking about the USSR and not talking about Assyria, or maybe Daniel was just talking about Assyria and said that. But, um, but that way of that, that arrogance that I can figure out what God is saying, even though Jesus himself says, but about that day and hour, no one knows. You do not know. Is it that? But that can be frustrating, right? That can be frustrating, not knowing what the time is. Because if I knew what time Jesus was going to come again, I could plan accordingly. I could be like, okay, if Jesus is coming next week, there's a few things I want to get done before that happens. Maybe I want to like, get my act together a little bit today. Going to clean the house a little bit. Going to make sure I don't have those, those things I've been, I've been putting off. We want to get that in. We want to get it all scheduled. We don't like the fact that Jesus is coming is a little more like injury time in soccer than like the end of American football. It's, it's, you don't know when the whistle is going to blow. So you gotta, you gotta be, be ready. And so one of those ways of reading Matthew 24, one of the ways of responding is kind of fear, like, oh my gosh, what is this going to be? One of the ways is arrogance. It's gonna be there's two in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. And think, oh, I'm going to be one of those taken. I'm already righteous. I'm good. I got it. I figured it out. I'm not going to worry about the other folks. And then finally, a response is humility. Lord Jesus, I have no idea what you're talking about here. I don't know what you are saying, but I know that you are the Lord of time. And that in your right time, you will come. And I wait for you. And I hope for you. Christ is the king of all time, and at the end of all time, all will be made whole in him. But we don't have to wait for that time to live into Christ's kingship. Now, this is what Isaiah 2 points to. Isaiah the prophet says, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us his ways. He shall judge between the nations, And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. We can live into Christ's revelation now. Part of the hope of Christmas, part of the promise of Advent, part of the promise of this child that will be there. On December 24th, right now at Berkeley, we have a tradition of not having baby Jesus in the manger yet, because baby Jesus hasn't come yet. So we have the other folks there reminding us, preparing us. But part of that hope of that baby Jesus is that all will be made well, is that God really is with us, Emmanuel. And that the brokenness we see around us is not the ultimate reality and the ultimate end of all things, but that it shall be redeemed. And the hurts and the scars and the pains that we have felt and our loved ones have felt is not their, their end, but that God will redeem us all. During Advent, we can stand in humility, knowing who the king of all time is. Christian humility is self-knowledge before God. How can we know ourselves before the God who is the God of all time and the God of all power? But the amazing 
the amazing reality is that in Jesus, we are offered God's self-knowledge to us. We see in this baby who comes to us, we see on that Savior on the cross who God is for us, and God is love for us. Ultimate love, sacrificial love. Love that has no remainder. Love that has no remainder. I was talking with, uh, my nephew came to visit for, for Christmas, and they were talking about fractions. And I think if you remember fractions from elementary math, some of you would hope to never hear that word again. (laughs) One of the aspects of fractions, and when you're adding fractions and working with fractions, there's a remainder left over. If you add, you know, if you add three-fourths plus two-fourths, you don't get a whole number. You have a little extra over when you start dividing for the first time. You have a remainder. You have a little extra over. I think it's, it's important to even think in that way that when we talk about Jesus is love, there is nothing in Jesus. There is no remainder beyond the love. There is nothing left over, no little bit over here of, of, of anger and fear and all these kind of things and words that we fill in, that we anthropomorphize God, but God is all love with no remainder. Nothing you have to deal with, no fraction you have to turn into a decimal. God is all love offered for us, offered without price for each of you. Christian humility is this self-knowledge before God, but in Jesus we are offered God's self-knowledge that we can meet God here and now and love God here in worship and in our neighbor. And the power of Advent is that we can do that now. And what, what, Matt, what Matthew is saying through this passage, what Jesus is saying is stay alert. Don't wait. Don't put off loving until you know the time is right. Start loving now. Start offering yourself now. Start giving now. If there are things that you need to do, you feel like if Jesus is coming next week and you feel like you need to get your life in order, get your life in order now. Because the way our life is going to be prepared for God is the way we can live in hope and peace and love now. And if we are clinging to those things in our life that are not quite with God, we need to let go of them now. Advent is a season, an opportunity to let go of that. To let go of those things in our life that are not love. To let go of those things that we have held on to because we thought that was who we are. Because it was comfortable. When we, when we look to God, we realize our ultimate comfort is not found in nostalgia, but found in hope, found in peace, found in our home with Christ. Advent means not putting off love, not scheduling it in a few times a week. My brothers and sisters, that's what Advent offers for us, a season to practice that. To not wake up one day, I don't expect, nobody expects you to walk from this place and be like, okay, I'm going to be perfect from now on. It's okay. I cannot do that. We cannot, we cannot promise that. God may do that, perform that miracle in your life, and that would be awesome. But what we can ask and what we can strive for is, God, may I step towards total love this day. May I take a, take a step away from what has kept me from loving my neighbor. May I take a step away from 
from those things that have held me back from loving myself. May I take a step away from self-loathing in order to see myself as a child of God. May I take a step away from seeing my neighbor in the worst light and seeing them as a child of God, deserving of love in this world. And this Advent season, my brothers and sisters, may you take a step in love because Emmanuel will soon be with us. And let us welcome him and celebrate him fully and totally. Christ is King. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.